Thanks, everyone. Good morning again. So good to be with you this morning as we continue walking through the book of Matthew. This is where we've been over the last several weeks and where we'll continue to be over the next several weeks as we're walking through the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, looking at the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6. This morning, we're going to look at desiring the greater reward and looking at in these few verses, Jesus coming to his disciples, coming to his followers, and explaining to them that there is reward for obedience. That when you follow Jesus, when you do what he asks you to do, there is reward for that. And his warning in this passage is to be careful about whose reward you're seeking. Whose praise are you seeking? Whose glory are you seeking? And this comes kind of on the the cusp of what we've seen in the last chapter in chapter 5. We see that Jesus is expanding the vision of the kingdom in the previous chapter. He's making it way bigger than it had been settled into, way bigger than it had been kind of boiled down to, going to the heart of the matter, not just the exterior, not just the, the bare minimum, if you will, but going to the very heart of the matter and expanding what the kingdom looks like. Even so, we read early in chapter 5 that the righteousness of those who follow Jesus must even exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. That expanding and getting a greater expectation for that. We see that we must be obeying the heart of the law, not just the letter of the law. And as we come into chapter 6 this morning, we come off the cusp of the end of chapter 5 when Jesus says in the middle of a sermon, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And so he's raising the bar very high on what followers of Jesus are to look like, what their lives are to look like, what the obedience is to look like in this. But Jesus is warning in this particular passage to be careful. At the end of this chapter 5, I can imagine that there's a sense of Jesus' followers kind of thinking to themselves or being tempted to pat themselves on the back. And if I live the way that Jesus says I'm supposed to live, if I love the way that I'm supposed to love, if I get rid of anger in my life, I get rid of lust in my life, if I don't retaliate the way that that my heart wants to, if I'm doing those things, I'm going to look pretty good. In fact, I'm going to look probably better than most of the people around me. I'm going to be able to stand out, like I'm going to be light, I'm going to be salt, all of those things. And I could sense Jesus in the middle of a sermon, kind of seeing the pride, kind of rising up in his followers of, if I do all of this, I'm going to be amazing. If I love this way, if I follow Jesus this way, I am going to be amazing. And I need to work really, really hard to be as amazing as I possibly could, so as many people as possible can see how amazing that I am. And Jesus steps in in chapter 6 and kind of pumps the brakes for just a moment and say, listen, I see where your heart is going. This morning I want to kind of, again, I want to talk to us about reward. And what I think the reality is that we need to admit before kind of stepping into all of this is that we have an innate desire, I believe, for recognition and award, don't we? We have this thing inside of us that likes to be recognized when we do something right. We have this thing inside of us that desires to be rewarded for doing something right. And I believe that's from God. I really do. I believe God has given us that in our hearts for a desire to please him, for a desire to honor him. I believe it's a right desire for us to, 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 for us to see and to be rewarded for our action. And no one likes to be overlooked, do we? No one likes to be overlooked. No one likes to be passed over. We like to put ourselves out there many times. Why do you think things like Instagram and Snapchat and and Facebook are so popular today? Because I think in many ways it feeds into our desire 
to put ourselves out there, to put the best of ourselves out there, the, the most important things about us, the, the most flattering things about us. And, and it feeds into this, this reality that we all love to be recognized. We all love to be rewarded. I was remembering a story, I was remembering a time back many, many years ago when Keith was younger, my youngest was younger. He's 14 now and almost six foot tall. He was four at the time and barely three foot tall. And I decided for some reason that I wanted to be his t-ball coach. It's like, that's going to be great, right? Can be no problems with coaching four-year-olds. This is going to go really well, no stress. This will be amazing to coach t-ball. One of the things I recognize very quickly about four-year-olds playing baseball, they don't really care about playing baseball. All they care about is someone in the crowd yelling and screaming their name in a good way. All they care about is the praise that comes from that. They don't understand. They're not even really connecting that them hitting the ball got praise. They're not really connecting that them running in the right direction got them praise. They don't care one bit about how it's happening. All they care about is that someone is screaming for them and saying, great job, you did amazing, and clapping, and hearing the crowd go wild for them. And in fact, what they actually mostly care about is not even the praise. What they mostly care about is what's for snack after the game. Are we getting a snack after the game? Is all of this going to be worth it in the end? Is me standing out in the sun for this hour going to be, am I getting a Rice Krispie treat at the end of all of this? There were multiple times during games where I had to take kids and physically place them back in their position because they would run up to me and say, is it snack time yet? Are we done with all of this stuff so that we can get to the snack? And so I see that in these four-year-olds, the reality of what's in my own heart as well. Sometimes it doesn't really matter what I'm doing. Sometimes it doesn't really matter how I'm doing. Sometimes all I really want is someone to say, great job. Sometimes all I really want is someone to say, you're doing well, keep it up. And sometimes all I really want is for all this to be over and the snack to come. Sometimes all I really want is, can we stop with this mess and the fighting and the confusing and the hardship and all of those kind of things? And can we just get to the good stuff at the end? And I think, again, that that's in us. I think God has placed that in us. But I think the damage with that, the thing where that's gone wrong, is we place that desire not on God as our reward, not on him being on our our audience, but ultimately placing ourselves as the reward, placing ourselves as the audience. That what we want more than anything else is not God's approval. Quite frankly, it's anybody's approval. If anybody will approve me in that. What I want to share with us this morning, as you see, if you follow along on your notes, it says that Jesus expects us to live out our faith. This is part of what he's doing on the Sermon on the Mount, to to put into practice the righteousness he gives to us. And this passage that we're about to read isn't about necessarily who sees our good works, but who gets the glory for those good works. Do I practice my righteousness? Am I obedient to God so that I'll be honored? Or do I practice my righteousness and my obedience to God so that God will be honored? Let's look with me in chapter 6 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Matthew records the words of Jesus as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says this. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, 
do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's take a moment and pray before we stump in. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word, for the lasting nature of your word. God, how your word applies to our lives. Lord, we pray by your grace, by your mercy, by your power, that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to your word, that we may see the wondrous truths that are there for us. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you this morning just two things this morning. I think we're going to get a little little shorter. We're not, only because it's two. Maybe longer, only because it's two. But only two things this morning that I want to share with you. Um, The first one we're going to talk about is specific aim of our hearts. The specific aim of our hearts. And then a little bit later, we're going to talk about the specific action of our hands. The specific aim of our hearts and the specific action of our hands. Of our hands. Look with me again in verse 1 as we look at the specific aim of our hearts. Verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward for your Father who is in heaven. As you read that first verse, I hope another verse comes to mind where this verse feels contradictory where this verse seems to go in direct contrast to something Jesus just said a few verses earlier. Look back with me on chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Jesus says this in the very same sermon. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It feels like we're standing at a crosswalk, the light turns green, and Jesus says, walk, but make sure whatever you do, you don't walk. It feels very confusing. It feels on the one hand, he's saying, let your light shine so that people will see your good works. On this verse, he says, don't let anybody see what you're doing. And it seems very contradictory on this. Now, as we kind of see this, Jesus does not contradict himself. He's not changing his mind in the middle of the sermon. He has two different purposes for the things that he's saying. I think back in Matthew chapter 5, the concern was complacency. The concern was, if I have this righteousness from God, if I'm blessed by God in this way, I can just sit back relax, let it all soak in, ride the ride until Jesus comes back. And so in in opposition to that, Jesus goes against complacency and says, no, no, that's not the way you are to live your life. You're to live your life in front of others. Be obedient to what God has called you to do so that people will give glory to God. In this verse, I think he's battling against pride. That then being convicted to go out and to do what God has called us to do, we might think better of ourselves. We might think to ourselves, look what I've done. Look at all the obedience that I've done. Look how great that I am. Look how much I've changed in my life. And so he's battling those kinds of things here. And in this passage, Jesus is talking about reward, what drives us, what motivates us to do what God calls us to do. Are we motivated simply by the reward of the applause we get from others? Are we motivated by the reward of the applause that our Father gives to us? The reward that he gives to us. Now, I want to be, make a distinction here before we get too deep in the sermon too. A distinction between salvation and rewards. Because these are two very different things that the scripture is talking about. And we receive those two things in very different ways. 
Salvation is a free gift of grace. It is given to us not by anything that we have done, not by our works. It is a free gift of grace. A reward is an earned gift of grace. It comes to us because of what we've done, because of our obedience, because of our faithfulness. Salvation is a present possession, something we have right here, right now, given to us by grace through faith in Jesus. Reward is a future attainment given to us by grace through works for Jesus. So I want to make that very clear distinction here because as I start talking about rewards, some of you might get a little nervous because I'm talking about earning those rewards. I'm talking about working to those rewards. I'm talking about how our obedience kind of connects to what God gives to us. And so I want to separate very clearly. I am not talking about salvation. I am not talking about coming into relationship with God. That is by grace through faith in Jesus. What Jesus is talking about, what I'm talking about this morning, are rewards given to us by grace because of our works. We'll make sure that we get those two things very clearly set aside. Because the scripture talks a lot about reward. If you read through the scriptures, there's a ton of things that talk about reward. From the very Old Testament— Right? He tells God, comes to the nation of Israel and said, if you obey, then you'll get this. If you do this, then you'll get this. If you obey this way, then you'll get this. If you disobey, then here's a consequence. If you disobey, here's a consequence. Jesus talks about reward all of the time. Well done, good and faithful servant. There's a reward that comes with that. Paul talks about the crown of righteousness, the reward we will get for being obedient to that. John in Revelation tells us to continue to, to carry forward, to continue to persevere, because there's a reward waiting for us. So it's a normal thing for Scripture to talk about reward. Look with me at two passages of Scriptures that show us that. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. The author of Hebrews says this. He says, And without faith is it impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5. The Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So it's a normal thing for us to talk about reward. It's a normal thing for Jesus to talk about reward. As we read this passage of Scripture, especially in verse 1, that we must see here that reward is not a bad thing. It's not a thing to be avoided. It's not a worldly thing. It doesn't stand in opposition to the gospel. I really believe that desiring reward is a part of who God made us. The problem is not the desire for reward. The problem Jesus is bringing to our attention is the desire for worship. That we want to be worshiped instead of God. We want the glory instead of God. We want the praise instead of God. We want a reward other than the one God wants to give to us. But Jesus is saying here in verse 1 that we are to practice our righteousness in front of others, but not for others. Our purpose in obeying, our purpose in being a light, our purpose in being a salt is that others will see that, but our ultimate goal, our motivation is not for them. The warning isn't about whether or not we should practice our righteousness. It's not whether or not we should be obedient to God. It's not even really about who sees you practicing your righteousness. What it's really about is the goal of your practicing righteousness. Why am I being obedient? Why am I doing the things Jesus asked me to do? Why am I living out my faith? 
For whom am I doing this for? Who am I trying to honor in this obedience? In my giving, in my praying, in my fasting, in my loving, in my not being angry, and all of those things, who am I trying to honor in this? Who am I trying to get glory on all of this? Is it me or is it God? The question isn't, too, as we look through this passage of Scripture, the, the question isn't, will I receive a reward or if I'm going to get rewards? That's not the question. Jesus assumes that award, rewards are on the table. The question is, which reward will I receive? Will I receive a passing one? Will I receive a temporary reward for this? Will I receive something that comes and goes very quickly like a mist in the wind? Or am I going to receive a reward that will last for all eternity? This is the question that's being raised here by Jesus. Well, here's the hard part in all of this. Here's the part that Jesus is warning about here. Let's be brutally honest about this. I don't like to serve and not be recognized. It is in my heart. It is a desire in me. When I do a thing, I want somebody to notice that thing and give me some sort of thank you for the thing that I did. Some sort of recognition for the thing that I did. I don't like to do a thing where nobody sees it. That's me in my heart. Just being brutally honest with you this morning, I'm probably the only one, right? You guys are all great in that. You guys do it secretly. You love it. Nobody knows what you're doing. Good for you. I'm not as good as you are. But I see this desire in us, and this is where this is really, really hard. Because let's be honest, at times when we're being obedient to what God has called us to do, there's great sacrifice that comes with that obedience. There's great faith that comes with that obedience. There's great hardship at times that comes with that obedience, and it feels like I just want somebody to say thanks. That's all I'm asking for. I just want somebody to notice the things that I'm doing. Someone to realize that I even exist, that I'm even doing anything at this point. That's the desire that we have in our hearts. And that's the desire I think that Jesus is kind of trying to push back. And not necessarily push back, but redirect. And to say, listen, it's good and it's right and it's okay for you to do a thing and to say, did anybody see what I did? But to divert that from looking at the rest of us and looking out on the crowds for that praise and looking to the Lord to say, God, I know that you saw me and that's all that matters. I know that my obedience was was plain to you. What I tried to keep in secret, what I tried to, to get nobody else to notice, you noticed, and this is okay and this is good. We see this in our hearts that we want praise, we want honor, we want to do what God calls us to do, and we like when other people praise us. Look with me in Galatians chapter 2. There's a story of Peter who struggles with this very thing. We see Peter in the New Testament. He's kind of up and down and all over the place. And then we see Peter in the, in the, in the, 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 in the, the book of Acts and how Peter's changed and he's on fire for the Lord, all these great things. But we see in Galatians that Paul has to circle back to Peter because Peter is struggling with this very thing that Jesus is talking about. Peter is struggling with being obedient to Jesus so that others will notice his obedience. Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes this. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. How would you love that? For Paul to come back to the city and go directly to you and say, hey, Peter, we got to talk. He said, because he stood condemned. For before certain men uh, came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews act hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's what Peter was doing. Peter was trying to look cool in front of the Gentiles. Peter was trying to look cool, not only in front of the Gentiles, but to the other Jews to say, look what a cool guy I am. I'm eating dinner with Gentiles. Aren't I amazing? The people that we once hated, the people that we once weren't allowed to eat with, the people that we said were unclean, look how much I love God and Gentiles. I am spending all the time with them. And then when the Jews came from another town, Peter's response was, Gentiles who? I've never had dinner with them ever once in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. Because Peter was driven in this moment by, I want to look good in front of other people. I want them to notice the things that I'm doing. And like Peter, we all struggle with the same thing. We all struggle at times with obedience that who's around and what the circumstances are and what's happening in my life, how I act and how I respond and how I do the things that I do here. See, the problem isn't desiring a reward. The problem is desiring too small of a reward. I'm a big Seinfeld fan. Hold that against me if you want to, whatever. You just don't have good taste in TV. That's fine. I am a big, huge Seinfeld fan. And there's one episode of Seinfeld where this guy named Kramer, kind of a doofus by his own admission, got a hot cup of coffee and decided to go with that hot cup of coffee and sneak that into the movie in his pants. In the middle of all of that, that hot cup of coffee spilled all over him and burnt him. His response, sue the coffee place. Because that's the only thing to be able to do. The coffee was too hot and the lid was faulty. He decided to sue the coffee place. On their way to have this conversation with the coffee place, Kramer and his lawyer are on the way. In another scene, the coffee place is talking and they're planning out their response to the suing. And they say, we don't want this to get big. We're going to give him $50,000 in free coffee at any store that he wants to have. Kramer comes into this. They stand up and say, let's make this short and sweet. The guy stands up and says, we're going to give you a free cup of coffee in any restaurant in North America, in Europe, plus. And in the middle of that, Kramer jumps up and says, I'll take it. And he takes, and that's all that he gets is a free cup of coffee. And the $50,000 that they were about to give to him is out the window. Because Kramer, in the middle of this, settled for too small of a reward. And I think there's many of us who are like Kramer, who see a little thing, who see a little praise, a little recognition, a little pat on the back, a little attaboy, and we say, I'll take it. That's what I want. When God is saying, I have infinite reward waiting for you. I have infinite treasures waiting for you. I have infinite recognition waiting for you. And you settled for someone saying, good job. And that's the limit to that reward was that particular good job. I think we're too easily satisfied. That's what it comes down to. Our sights are set too low. We practice our righteousness before men. We receive the payment in full. And when we practice our righteousness for the praise of God, our payment is abundant and full and everlasting. We settle for too little. So as we read passages of Scripture like this in Matthew 6, we shouldn't kind of buck up against reward and say, I don't want to think about reward. That feels icky. That feels strange. It doesn't feel right for me. I think that the problem is not that it feels strange to us, is that we want reward and we settle for small things. We settle for, we settle for the smallness of it. We settle for, for, for temporal things when God wants to give us eternal things. Colossians chapter 3, 
verses 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. This is the goodness and the graciousness of God. This is the amazing pack, uh, a part of this passage of Scripture. It's amazing enough that at the beginning of this sermon, Jesus says, I am blessing you with righteousness that is not your own. I am giving you gifts that you did not deserve, you did not work for, that you worked against, that you hated me, you were my enemy, but I am rescuing you and saving you and calling you out and giving you life and sealing you and forgiving your sins abundantly. And not only is that true, which would be amazing enough, but the givingness of God, the generosity of God, the overwhelming generosity of God is, and I will also give you rewards for your obedience. I will also infinitely bless you when you say yes to me and no to the world. I will give you great prizes and great rewards and an inheritance if you practice your righteousness in a way that gives me honor and gives me praise. This is the God that we serve, the bigness of this God. So the problem is not that we serve a stingy God, is that we misunderstand the generosity of God. We must understand the bigness of the gift that he wants to give to us. There's even a false sense of pride in us. We're like, no, no, no. I don't want this. I don't want a prize. I don't want a reward. Yes, you do. Be honest about it. Be forthright about it. Be okay with that. But say, but I want my Lord to reward me. Because it's infinitely better than anything this world can give me. That any praise I can get from man. So why are we settling for less? Why in this passage of Scripture, why do we strive so hard to get others to praise us, to get others to, to, to pat us on the back? Why do we settle for less? I think we're impatient at times. I think we're prideful at times. I think we have a misunderstanding of who God is at times. And so we decide to settle for less. I think we like instant gratification. It feels good when you do a thing and someone immediately says, thank you, great job. It feels hard when you do a thing and nobody says anything. But God notices and God sees and God promises that when we are obedient, if nobody sees it, he sees and he blesses those who obey him. And then we do, we need to check the aim of our hearts. And this is important because I think verse 1 is foundational for the next like 18 verses. So as we talk about prayer, as we talk about fasting, as we talk about giving, this is foundational. This is where all of that is coming from. If we don't get the heart stuff right, we're going to pray wrongly. We're going to fast wrongly. We're going to give wrongly. We're going to do those things for ourselves. So we've got to get this right first. And so making sure that our aim is for God and not for man. Number two, then we look at, so Jesus goes from this, this aim of our heart and then gives a specific action of our hands. He gives a specific application to this. First, he says, don't, in a very kind of general way, don't do your obedience for the sake of others. And then he goes in these next few verses, two through four, and here's a specific example of obedience to be careful of how you're doing that. Read that with me in verses two through four. It says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What we see now is Jesus giving a specific example of 
obedience. And we notice in this passage of Scripture, the specific example is giving, and there is an expectation for giving. When Jesus says this, he doesn't say, if you happen to want to give, if it moves your heart on a certain day to give, if you are convicted in the future someday to give, he doesn't say that. He says, when you give, the expectation is as believers, as followers of Christ in the kingdom of God, we're going to be giving. So Jesus doesn't even give us an option of whether or not to give. In the same way we're talking about praying and fasting, there's no option giving there. It's an expectation for those who are following. But we do these things not to impress others. When we do those things out to entrust others, we're, we're ultimately trying to show on the outside what we wish were true on the inside. We're showing on the outside what we wish, but we know is not true on the inside. He says here in this passage that we don't give in such a way where we're sounding a trumpet as the hypocrites do. And when Jesus says this, I don't see any example of this practice, of this regular like, hey, if you give over a hundred dollars, uh, bugle sounds. If you give over $500, you get a trumpet. If you give over 1000 a whole orchestra comes out, and they do harps and all kinds of things for you. And so the more you give, the bigger band that comes out to celebrate you. I think what Jesus is saying here ultimately is saying, don't give in such a way where there's a big fuss that is made for you, where others are recognizing and praising you. We don't give in such a way because that's how the hypocrites give. That's how those who are acting as righteous give. That's a kind of a theater word, if you were, that were there. It's putting on a performance. What they care more about is the outside show than what's actually happening on the inside. But here's what I think's really happening in this instance. Something, I don't know, maybe I coined it, maybe I didn't, maybe it's in the back of my head, but spiritual plagiarism is what's happening at this point. What's happening when we give in such a way so that others recognize, so that a trumpet is sound, is I am putting Jesus's righteousness on display and I'm saying it's mine. I am putting what Jesus put in me, the change he put in me, the desires he put in me on display. And what I'm saying is that was mine all along. That was my righteousness. That was my desire. That was what I wanted to do. We're putting Jesus on display and saying, well, it's really me that's doing that. It's spiritual plagiarism. One of the things, if you go to a class students, one of the first conversations they're going to have with you is don't plagiarize. Nobody's words, nobody's thoughts, nobody's ideas. Don't plagiarize. In fourth grade, I was 100% guilty of plagiarizing. And I'm here to confess and to get it off my shoulder so I can move on with my life. In fourth grade, we were called to write a story and illustrate it. Any of you have read the story, Where the Wild Things Are, before? Little boy goes to bed has a dream of going to this island with monsters and they play and have a great old time. I wrote a story called Where the Wild Things Are. Fourth grade, I didn't even try. Basically the same story. I changed a name or two, almost print for print, page for page. I copied the illustrations right into this thing. I thought, this is the best story. This is the greatest plan. Why has no one ever thought of this before? This is the easiest way to get done with an assignment. But then in the middle of that, my dad read the story and reminded me, I think I've heard this before. He's an English teacher. He's heard this story before. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is, this is all Andy. This is all me. I know it's good. I know I'm only 10. I know it's amazing. And then what was going on, and my teacher somehow either didn't care or didn't know, because I got a good grade on that, by the way. That's not an endorsement to try to get away with something. So please don't hear me say, try to get away with plagiarism. 
you will be found out um, for that. But what I was basically doing was taking someone else's work and saying, look what I did. Look, amazing things that I did. And this is what Jesus is warning against, that when we give, and we give in such a way so that others are seeing us, so we're getting praise from others, we're saying, well, look what I did, instead of look what Jesus did. So he says in here, do not do this, that so you'll be praised by others. And Jesus goes even deeper here, and he says, not only is our desire not to, to impress other people, I think he goes even farther to say, there are times where we're tempted to even impress ourselves. That we're finally getting to the point of, all right, I get it. I don't want anybody to notice. I don't want anybody to give me praise. But I know what I did. I know what I gave. I know what a sacrifice that was. I know what I had to give up to be able to do that. I know how obedient that I am. And so Jesus takes that even further and he says, listen, don't do it as a trumpet. Don't do it as a hypocrite. And he takes it even farther to say, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Because I know your hearts. I know that if you don't get the praise from men, you're going to pat your own self on the back. You're going to say, look how great that I am. Be careful of even doing that because our ultimate goal, our ultimate desire is for God to be honored. You see, our audience in giving, our audience in this is, is, is God himself, not us. Let's be honest again with it. We love to be recognized. How many of you, when you're going to drop a tip in the jar, you don't have to raise your hand, Wait until the person is watching you to put that tip in the jar. How many of you get frustrated when you're about to drop the tip in the jar and the server turns their back at that precise moment and you hesitate a second, hovering over the jar for them to turn back? Oh, there it is. Have a great day. Look what I did. We love that, don't we? We love it. It's, it's in us to be recognized. It's in us in those kinds of ways. And this is hard for us. We want to give in such a way as to be recognized. We want to give in such a way as to be honored. And so how do we give? How does Jesus tell us that we ought to give of our financial resources? I think if we go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll see how to give. The Apostle Paul says this in talking to this church about giving. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us about how do we give, in connection with what Jesus is teaching with us about how to give. That our motivation is centered on God. Our motivation is centered on the glory of God. And when our desire is to honor God, when our desire is to give freely for him as our audience, then we're free to give. We're free to do so joyfully. We're free to give as God intends us to give. How do we give? What does it tell us here? We give generously. Not for the praise of man, not so that someone can say how great that we are, but because God gives generously. And generously, and all of these things are subjective. What is generous for you may be something very different for somebody else. But it's what is God is calling you to do out of a heart of his generosity. We give intentionally. We give in such a way that we're mindful of what we're giving and why we're giving it. We're aware of the needs around us. We're aware of those people who need things. We're, we're not focused on ourselves, but we're focused on others and, our, our, and on God. We give joyfully. Not because we get applause from man, but because God is honored in our giving. 
We give faithfully, trusting that God will provide for all of our needs, that God will reward our faithfulness. We give sacrificially, not because our names will be put on a plaque somewhere, but because we recognize that it's all from God and for God. And when we live with an audience of one, when we live with the desire to say, God, I want to honor you. I want to be obedient to you. I want to bring praise to your name through my giving. That giving may be done in secret, but God is honored through that. Maybe not by the sense that you get praised for that. But maybe the church is able to do a ministry. Maybe someone's belly is full because you were able to give. Somebody has, someone had clothes on their back because you were able to give. Maybe someone was freed from imprisonment because you were able to give. And God gets the glory for that. That's the desire for us, the hope for us. What does giving look like specifically? This is always hard for the pastor to come up and to say to give. But as your pastor, I'm saying give. Not for our sake, not for covenant's sake, but give for God's sake as a way to show that you trust him and that you honor him. If you're not giving in a particular way, in a consistent basis, pray through that and ask what God is asking you to do. If you need help with that, talk with one of us to kind of set up a budget, whatever that needs to do. Know that what you do give here at Covenant Church, I don't know what it is. Joe don't know what it is. There's maybe one or two people who knows what you're giving. So if you're giving to impress me, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I have zero idea what anybody gives. And as you, some of you have known, when you try to give me your offering to put it in the box, I run as fast as I can the other direction. I want nothing to do with that kind of thing. Because our giving is before the Lord. We give to the needy. What are the needs around us in our community? Who are those who are behind for whatever reasons that we can give to? We give to our neighbor. Maybe our neighbor needs a meal. Maybe our neighbor needs their grass cut. Maybe our neighbor has kids needs school supplies. We give to, sell, for, to, to settle those things. Maybe it's a refugee who has come to the United States and we, we give faithfully, we give generously so that they can start their new life in a safe place. Maybe if it's a single mom or dad who is trying to find the newness of their life and we give graciously and gener generously to those. Maybe there's a widow in our midst that we must to give generously to, whether it's meal or finances or health care or whatever it is. Maybe there's an orphan in our midst, an orphan in our community that needs help and support. We give generously because God has given generously to us. And so the question again isn't, am I to give? Yes. The question isn't, am I going to get a reward for my giving? The answer is yes. The question is, what reward will I receive? Will I receive the reward of man that says, good job, and that's it, and it's over, and we move on? Will I, will I receive the reward of God that is lasting, that has eternal uh, ramifications to it? Ultimately, at the end of this, what is Jesus calling us to? In this passage, in all of Scripture, in all of life, what is Jesus calling us to? Self-forgetfulness. He's calling us to set ourselves aside. He's calling us to put our own desires aside. He's calling us to forget our very selves and to have God mindfulness. That in all that we do, and specifically in our giving, we will have self-forgetfulness in our giving. It's not about me. It's not about the praise that I get. It's about the honor that God gets to bring him the glory. He's calling us to live out the righteousness that he has freely given to us. But he's calling us to live out that righteousness in a way that God is glorified for our obedience and not us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for this passage of Scripture. God, we thank you for this challenge to my own heart of 
Why do I desire to be obedient? Why do I want to be obedient? Why do I do the things that you've called me to do? Is it for my sake? Is it for my praise? Or God, is it for you? So I pray, God, as we think about our giving, as we think about, God, what you have called us to, help us to be obedient to the specific things that you're calling us to to, to give to, the specific amounts you're calling us to give, the the sacrifices you're calling us to do. We, We want to be obedient to that, God. But please, please help our hearts to do so in a way that shows that we trust you, that you are our God, you are our King, you are our provider, you are our audience, and that ultimately we have um, grace and mercy from you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.